Future-proof gold from Newstalk. Uh, now, this year was the year that we had a massive revelation when it comes to gravitational waves. Uh, but we're delighted to be joined um, in studio by the uh, director at the Institute of, for Theoretical Physics of the Goethe Institute of Frankfurt, uh, Professor Luciano Rizzola, uh, who's one of the experts on this phenomenon and can talk to us about why this discovery was so um, important and how we go about measuring these things that really are on the most extraordinary scale. You're very welcome to the programme, Luciano. Maybe you might first start off by describing what gravitational waves are and and how we've we've measured them for the first time. Okay, well, first of all, thank you for having me here. Um, So gravitational waves are, strictly speaking, ripples of space-time that move at a speed of light. Um, What does it mean? Well, um, the idea is that uh, space-time can be bent and warped by the presence of energy or mass. And um, the typical example is, you know, uh, having a flat sheet with a, with, a, with a weight on it, and this will create a, a dent. Um, like a sheet with a golf ball in the middle. That's right. A rubber sheet with a golf ball in the middle. Now, imagine you have two golf balls, and that these golf balls are actually rotating around each other. You can imagine that the warping will follow the movement of the balls. And if you have, are a bit more imaginative, you can think that this warping will also transmit and move out away from the balls. Well, that's essentially what gravitational waves are. Are these uh, perturbations in the space-time curvature that uh, move when two bodies that have a very large mass move at speeds which are close to the speed of light. So it's sort of like an aftershock from a huge explosion of two extraordinarily dense objects. That's right. Um, with the difference that these, you know... Uh, you have an aftershock um, at the time of the collisions, but these guys spend millions of years going around each other and emitting very teeny tiny uh, waves, which actually, for most of the time, we do not detect. But this is um, an exponentially growing phenomenon where as they get closer, they move faster, and so they are emitting even more gravitational waves, more intense gravitational waves, which makes them become even closer to each other and hence move even faster. And so it's like a tango which rises up in rhythm and up until the two dancers are no longer at a distance, but they really hug each other and then start spinning as a single object. And uh, when this happens, you know, you have this very intense uh, emission of gravitational waves, and this is actually what we can really see. We can't see the millions of years of quiet dancing around each other, but we do see the final, you know... Embrace. Embrace, yes. This is um, a particularly powerful phenomenon because of the the nature of these neutron stars. Can you remind people what neutron stars are? Right, so um, if you take a massive star, that is a star which has about 10 or more solar masses, and you let it go through its evolution, at the end of its life, which might take, you know few tens of millions of years. It's burning through all its fuel. That's right. It will burn and, and, and go, and, and, and uh, at the end it will produce a core of iron, and this will collapse, um, contracting, and then a bouncing back, producing what is known as supernova explosion. These are you know bright objects we see. We've seen them for many, many years now. So can I, because I, I, I've heard about this, I just want to ask you one Sure. Kind of further question about that. When we t- when we think about that, we're talking about sort of explosions that pushes the matter apart, and mm-hmm. then as it cools down, that's brought back in, and then be- due to the nature of the 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 mass and the pressure, 
they eventually explode again. Is that and it just keeps on going in and no, out? No. So, so what it happens is that you know the core is just the core which is collapsing, and this is something of the order of maybe ten, fifty thousand kilometers, while the, the, the star is much larger. So it's just the core which is contracting. The rest of the star doesn't even know that the core is contracting. Oh. The core then contracts, becomes extremely small, say 100 kilometers, and cannot compress anymore. And so um, then it, it's this core which bounces and sends a shock wave. And this shock wave essentially is what wipes out the rest of the star. So the rest of the star all of a sudden is just blown apart, not even knowing what hit it. How long, and how, how fast from the, this movement to the complete obliteration of a star? Is this a second? Is it millions of years? So, so this can take you know, several tens of seconds, maybe a minute. Uh, so an entire star disappears in a right, minute? That's yeah. Well, it's blown up, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because you know, the front at which the shock moves is, is uh, supersonic and is you know, a, a small fraction of the speed of light. So this is really, really uh, fast. Okay, so then you then you have this neutron star, and then you have a nut, a nut and this nut, um, which is a hundred kilometers at the beginning, um, contracts and cools in the matter of a year, and then you produce a very dense object, which is a neutron star. Uh, you calculate how much mass there is there, and you find out it's of the order of one to two solar masses, so twice as big as the, uh, the sun in terms of mass. You look at the, how big they are. Well, we don't really know how big they are, but we roughly think it's about ten to fifteen kilometers. So these are fantastic objects. They are extremely uh, compact, very massive, and uh, and they can spin at, at ridiculous speeds. They are um, they can have frequencies of seven hundred hertz. So just imagine a ten kilometer ball spinning at, at seven hundred hertz. Uh, and and, and uh, seven hundred hertz meaning means seven hundred times in a second. Seven ti- seven hundred times in a so second. Less than a millisecond. So in and, one and, second is going around, and this is an times. object that has the mass of two suns in and, in the space of fifteen kilometers. That's right. So yeah. extraordinary dense. I think I remember um, reading someone's uh, analogy saying that a sugar cube worth of this star is the weight of Mount Everest. So that's, that's sort right. of incredible yeah. sort of uh, density. In fact, the biggest mountain on this object is of the order of one millimeter. They are the most perfect round objects we know in the world. We, we can't even produce as, as round objects as them. But you see, how do you know that? I mean, that just sounds like such, it sounds like such a preposterous thing <laughs> to say that this exists in our universe. This extraordinary, and, and you, uh, we imagine mm-hmm. probably the gravity on this thing is insane, right? right. That, that, mm-hmm. uh, the, the power and the pull because of the mass is so, so big. So this bizarre object exists, we think, somewhere in the universe and we've mm-hmm. used measurements. How do we know that through, through com- computational models? Yeah, uh, and, 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 you know, measurements, that's how you set limits. Um, if there was a mountain, this would produce gravitational waves, and this would spin the neutron star down. And we don't see this spin down, and therefore we deduce from this that the mountain has to be very, very small. That's how you come up with a, an upper limit for the, the size of the mountains. Wow. It's, I mean, it's unbelievable to think the highest mountain on this spinning ball is one millimeter high. And it's speeding, spinning at 700 times a second. Yeah. Um, when these things collide, that's when um, we see something pretty extraordinary happen. Right. Talk to us about this um, smashing of, of gravitational waves and what computers can do to help us understand this phenomenon. 
Right. So in terms of gravity, you mentioned that you know the gravity is, is ridiculously high. And uh, as a matter of fact, it is almost as high as, as in a black hole. You would think that black holes are the objects where the gravity is the strongest, and that's correct. But if you compare the size and for the gravity of a black hole against that of a neutron star, the fact that there is less than, than, than a factor two in difference. So these are almost as extreme gravity-wise as, as as black holes, but they have a surface. They are real objects with a surface. So when two black holes merge, it's, you know, um, the, these objects do not have a surface, uh, black holes. They merge and they are in vacuum and just produce these ripples. On the other hand, when two neutron stars merge, because you have matter at very high density, it's like, you know, taking two um, dense objects made of matter and and, and, and colliding them at a fraction of the speed of light. And you can imagine that there is a big firework coming out of this. And um, would, so we, 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 would we be able to see that? Or, um, so actually, we, we, we've been seeing them for 40 years. These were um, called gamma ray bursts. So already in the 70s, um, people were observing flashes of gamma rays. So these are rays that you not, do not see normally on, on, uh, on Earth, but you have to be outside of the atmosphere to, to see them. We were seeing these flashes of light in very short, lasting for very short uh, intervals, a few seconds. And we had no clue where these would come from. Mm. Because they are so powerful, we see them from the furthest corner of, of the universe. And we didn't know what they were, but if you look at you know, a simple estimate of how, how much energy must be released, you realize that, you know, well, there can't be too many processes in the world producing this. And two smashing neutron stars seem to have the, the right ballpark um, energy. What this recent observation has shown is the confirmation that actually uh, gamma rebirths, short gamma rebirths, are produced by the merging of two neutron stars. So what we already were seeing uh, in the past, now we know is produced by this and and also we know that heavier elements come from this sort of an explosion as well. That's right. So by heavy elements, I mean uh, uh, you know stars produce and, and synthesize elements. They go from very simple elements like hydrogen to then to helium to carbon, oxygen. This is because the so the the pressures create fuse atoms together That's and right. they start going up the um, the table as we know from right. from school. So. It's, Iron uh, up to iron is to sort iron. of is a very natural thing. We yeah. see it all over the time. But after iron, after iron, you know, it's very difficult to produce. And uh, one way of producing them is supernova explosions. That is a way of producing um, heavy elements. So heavy elements is like uh, gold, platinum, uranium. These are go uh, heavy elements. And so people have long thought, okay, it's supernova explosions that uh, blow up the stars, and this is like distributing. Uh, and, and seeding the galaxy with these very heavy elements, because otherwise they would remain inside the star. You would not produce planets with such elements. But nowadays, uh, as our simulations are becoming more and more accurate, it's clear that we can't produce very heavy elements with supernova, because you need very high temperatures, and you read material which is already very rich in neutrons, neutron-rich material. And in this respect, uh, neutron stars um, are the perfect explanations. Why? Because when they collide, they they produce very large shocks, and this amount, a certain amount of matter, is actually ejected from this um, collision. The amount of matter is is minute; is maybe ten to the minus three, which is so one part in a, in a thousand, or maybe one percent of, of the mass of the system is released. 
Um, but this is enough to produce all of the heavy elements that we see in the universe. Wow. And uh, yeah, the example... So th th this um, collision that we recently observed, how much of gold or platinum or uranium would it produce? Have we any, any idea? So I think the, the estimate is that uh, it's about 100 masses, earth masses in terms of heavy elements. And then if you cut out how much of this is in gold, it's about two earth masses. So imagine... Two entire... Earth's planets of yeah. gold yeah. from this explosion. Of course, you know, this is distributed. Yeah, it's not <laughs> like a big chunk. Of the... Yes, exactly. It's... So, I mean, your job is, to, you know, is working with computers to sort of make these observations, make these predictions, and try and figure out how our universe sticks together when it comes mm -hmm. to forces and uh, matter, energy, and so on. Are we naive to think that mathematics can answer the the questions of how our universe is stuck together is is there a is there a, a vanity in that? Well, there is a vanity in the sense that you know we assume that uh, we can explain with mathematical laws what we observe, but this vanity is well, you know, is well posed because it does work. You know, we can explain a lot of things by just relying on the validity of our theory and the mathematics that is behind. So there is vanity, but uh, you, one has to admit that it works. So the fact that by using you know, predictions of Einstein, we were able to predict what is the signal that, that is actually has been observed is a confirmation, A, that the theory is correct, B, that our calculations were not flawed, and, uh, and this is maybe what is more surprising, that the laws of physics, as we know them here, apply to the edge of the universe. And also see that Einstein was a freaking genius. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I, I, people talk about Shakespeare and whether or not Shakespeare was really one person or whether or not it was a masked works. You know, Einstein, you do have to kind of wonder how, how often someone like that comes along mm -hmm. and actually managed to be in the right place to, to, to contribute so much to society. Um, what, what does your specific research do? I mean, how do you contribute to this understanding of our universe and why, why are you driven by it? So, um, well, first of all, because I like to explain some of these observations, like, as I mentioned, gamma ray bursts were for many, many years unexplained. And, and, and the idea that you, you can provide an explanation for something you observe um, is a very important motivation. My specific contribution is to try and solve these equations. Now, Einstein's theory is very profound but and, and, and very simple in, in terms of the logic behind it. It's just saying you have mass or energy that produces curvature, and this is, this is gravity. Gravity is just a manifestation of curvature. But when you look at the equations, they're also beautiful equations. They're called tensor equations, and they are invariant to coordinate transformation, whatever. important thing is that these equations are essentially impossible to solve analytically. So if you are a pencil and paper type of person, you cannot do much about it. Um, and so you need supercomputers because that's the only way in which you can try and, and solve these equations and reproduce something that um, looks like reality. So if I want to study what happens when two neutron stars merge, you know, I have to use this theory, but I cannot rely but on supercomputers to get any prediction. So... A lot of our time goes and is spent um, into building numerical codes, which you know solve these equations and um, give predictions which are as as accurate as possible. I find it amazing that that is um, someone's life work, and it's why I love this program that someone would dedicate their life to that. And 
slowly but surely add tiny Lego pieces into the wall of our understanding that uh, lead to incredible leaps in technology and science, as well as just showing the extraordinary beauty of human experience that we we go and, and search for these answers. We're delighted to have had you here. Um, the Dublin Institute of Advanced Studies uh, had uh, Professor Rezzola over here for a talk and we thank them very much for that. Uh, Luciana, thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you.